Reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think um, sometimes people say that at the heart of all sin, or the heart, the worst of all sin is pride. I think that's basically it, isn't it? Pride as in the sense, the desire to be above, to be greater than, better than, um, to rule over others, to be the boss of whatever it is. Pride. Mm. Now, in this passage, I actually think that although there is uh, encouragement and commands and instruction, I think as with a lot of things, we know in our hearts that it's true and we know in our hearts what we should do already. If you have the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit puts truth in your mind and your heart that tells you what you should do. Is that true? How you feel that, how you know that can be different, but I I believe that when we are united with Christ, that's what he begins. If you have any encouragement being united in Christ, being in Christ, being joined to him, uh, then he is at work in you. You're in him, he is in you. God's at work, he's transforming you, he's leading you, he's moving you, he gives you a conscience. Is that true? Do you ever feel led to do something? To love somebody, to care for somebody, to do something? Do you ever feel that? He leads you to be like Christ and the Bible says we are given the mind of Christ. So we think like he does. And so we live in humility, and that's at the heart of this passage today, is humility, which is a Jesus-given desire, a desire that's put into us. It's not natural to humanity to be humble. But without the, without the influence of God or without God actually stepping in, we are by nature the absolute opposite of humility, we are proud, conceited, or this other word, vain. It's a vain meaning. It's all about me and what people think of me. 
Okay, he begins with four things which he assumes, he says, now if this, of course by saying if, he's not meaning if, it's got to be there if you're a Christian. It's natural that this is how a Christian works. Uh, If you have any encouragement by being united with Christ, in other words, just say you're united with Christ, will that bring you any encouragement? Of course it will, you know. You, you get that. You know. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, when we're joined to him, when we're united to him, he brings us encouragement. If you have any comfort from his love, of course there's going to be comfort from his love. Yeah, he, His love comforts us. But this passage is actually about, uh, it's about community. It's about the body. So the comfort that comes from his love is a love that actually binds the body together. Ties Christians to one another. They won't say binds, that's what I mean. Like, you know, if we got Bruce and Sue out the front and we tied a rope around them and bound them together. It's a strong image, isn't it? We are, we are tied together in Christ. We are united to him and to one another. If there's any common sharing in the Spirit, in other words, of course there's common sharing when we have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit... There is a common sharing. That's the word fellowship. If you have a fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which people argue about the meaning, is this talking about the fellowship we have with the Holy Spirit or with the, the fellowship that the Holy Spirit brings with one another? It's the same thing. Well, they go together. It's not the same thing. But if you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you have fellowship with one another. They, they come together. They, they are one. And there's a sharing, a unity of the spirit it will be there for Christians all Christians have that we're good at fighting it we sometimes fight it don't we Um, you see what um, the Holy Spirit brings us when we're united to Christ is fact it is there it is going on it's not that we have to make it happen that's the problem we have as Christians is that we fight against what's happening but it is happening. I know I've described this before. It's like if when the river's flowing, you swim out to the, the middle, you get carried by the current. You can fight against it. You're going to get puffed out. You're going to wear out, and then you're going to get taken with it. The Holy Spirit is moving in a direction in your life. He's taking you down a path. You can fight him. Gossip. What, what, what are other things? Selfishness. Malice, hatred, you can fight him. You're going to get tired eventually. He's stronger than you are, by the way. If you have any tenderness and compassion, the Holy Spirit brings tenderness and compassion. Tenderness as in warmth, of love. Compassion, that's a a true care for others. Now these four things are four things that the Holy Spirit, what I've called, urges he puts urges in you to comfort, uh, to comfort one another, to encourage, to, to share, to have tenderness, compassion. That's going on for you as Christians. So he says, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ, if any, compa- any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. In other words, if this is going on for you, walk with it. 
Do you get that? Go with it. That's quite simply the sum up. But he says, make my joy complete. (coughs) Um, Paul, he says, fulfil my joy. Fill up my joy. Paul had a great joy when the church lived in unity and fellowship and joy together. His joy was there together. Nothing um, squashes joy like division. That's true. I think we've all experienced plenty of that. And um, it's, it's horrible, especially if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit. Then that it, it, it hurts you, it hurts us when there's division. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And if it grieves the Holy Spirit who lives in us, it grieves us. Division. Does that make sense? Now, ultimately, through this passage, the outworking of the Holy Spirit is with regard to the church. Okay? The community. The Christian community. God loves his church. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church, in the individual members, but corporately too, to bind us together in all these things. Unity is what we're called to because we're called to the workings of the Spirit. I know that sounds a bit, I don't know if it sounds confusing, but if we get hold of that to understand the Holy Spirit is working in all Christians and driving us not only to God, but to one another. And we actually, we're best to work with him. We're best to walk with him. Because he loves the church. And so it's also good to know that, that we are made to be a community. The Holy Spirit is with the church. We're actually not made to be lone soldiers. We're actually to be bound together. That's uh, throughout scripture we see that. So Paul says, fill up my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Live in the unity that you're called to. When you're prompted to love, then love. Uh, When you're prompted, do acts of love. Follow through on what you're called to. And when you feel the sinful desire to gossip or be proud, in other words, to look down on others, uh, to bring division, don't go there. Don't do that. That's not what... um, I always think that, uh, and I I know I've described it before, but when you eat the pork roast, the crackle, right? Yeah, that's gossip. It's 90% fat, 10% salt. It's all good for you. No. Right? You just want to chew on it and get, you know what I mean? It's probably not going to do you a lot of good. Well, it probably might do you a lot of bad, but it's... It's, it's good to chew on some gossip. We're not made for that. That is not an urge or a drive of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing out of selfish ambition or some, some translations say rivalry. Uh, you know, where you have rivals and you want to be better than others. Uh, you want to put yourself above them. 
The vine conceit, some translations call vine glory. That's actually sort of the way the Greek word says it. Vine glory. Um, the desire to build a tower, like in Babel. You know, in, in, in the Tower of Babel they built, that was vain glory. You can tell that because the tower's not there anymore. It's gone. And in another thousand years, I doubt that any of the great skyscrapers, the great towers which are built out of vain glory, will, they won't be there anymore. You understand? They'll all fall down. It's when you build this tower, this vain glory, to show off yourself, but really the reason that um, they built the Tower of Babel, it says, because they wanted to build a name for themselves. If you want to build a name for yourself, that means you're insecure. They were insecure. Insecure people have to build a tower, a vain glory, something that I can be known for that puts me above others. And so our, our Western world is filled with these desires to be powerful, to be well-known, to be well-loved, and, and uh, whatever that looks like. And it's particularly dangerous, especially when it creeps into Christianity, when, when Christians desire to, to be that person. I, I think we all fall into that at some time or another. So... Self-glory, pride, they all go together. That's why it's very important that we keep in mind that we are sinners saved by grace. Uh, We did nothing to deserve that. Whilst we're remembering that, that tears all of the vainglory away, doesn't it? Why do we have anything? Because it was given to us as a free gift. We didn't earn it. And then if... Um, I was given that free gift of God's grace and Linda was given that free gift of God's grace. I have no reason to think that I'm above her or I have no reason even to worship her works either because we are both as a complete level playing field. Does that make sense? (coughs) We'd sin is saved by grace. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. Don't think of yourself as better than others. Rather, that's saying, think of others as better than you. That's just the way we work in our world, isn't it? Not. The Greek world that they uh, lived in, that they saw that to lower yourself, to be lowly or to be humble, was actually unmanly. I think we're similar today. To be manly is obviously to have big muscles, and I know you're all jealous of me, Um, to show your strength. Don't let people see your weakness. Make sure you let everybody know that you're better than at least somebody, hopefully most people. That's a vain glory. That's selfish ambition. But love brings humility that truly puts others first. And love is from the Spirit of God. And when we have the love of the Spirit, we actually do not consider anybody to be inferior to ourselves. That's got to come from the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? That's got to be a miracle. So this works out, he says, by verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each 
of you to the interest of others. Look out for the good of others. Be concerned about the needs of others. I, 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 I sometimes wonder, and I've had this conversation um, with Jody before, particularly with regard to children, can you teach somebody to truly look out for the needs of others? Can you teach children that? And you can to a degree. You can, because have you ever noticed sometimes that there's somebody in great need in a room and no one notices? No one's looking out for it. Each is looking to their own interests. Um, I, I believe in the, at the end of the day, for that desire to care for the needs of others to be in the heart, it must be a work of the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. Now, I don't know if you've realised this today. What I've described is basically up till now completely impossible for every one of us. Is that true? Yeah, so just in case you're not feeling it, that's, that's a reality. You cannot humble yourself. Sometimes you might do this thing where you try to look humble to get glory. Yeah, we're good at doing that. But you cannot actually humble yourself from the heart. To truly love and put others above yourself, that's not actually possible. That is a work of the Holy Spirit and only of the Holy Spirit. It comes when we, as he goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus or the same mind of Christ. That Paul mentions that in two, at 1 Corinthians 2. He's talked right through the chapter of 1 Corinthians 2. He talks about the revelation that comes only by the Holy Spirit. You can only work by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes the things of God and brings them to us. And everything we know that's of any value comes from the Holy Spirit. And then he says at the end, and you have the mind of Christ. In other words, Christ has given you a mind which is like his, which looks to the needs of others, which cares for others, which loves, that you couldn't do unless it was given to you. Now, that's not where that passage starts. It starts in chapter 1 of Corinthians. We can go home and read 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, Sorry, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Um, He starts with the message of the cross, and he says this message of the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. The cross brings forgiveness and salvation and new life and reconciliation with God. And then he says, and the message of the cross brings a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And when we think of a demonstration of the Spirit's power, we often will think of something, wow, a big miracle of some sort. Actually, there's nothing more miraculous, firstly, than a human being believing in God, having faith. That's a miracle, isn't it? And can only come by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. But here's another miracle which is impossible for human beings, that they love one another from the heart. That's a miracle, isn't it? That's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And it only flows from God. And so... When Paul's describing all this in Philippians 2, where does he go with when he's given all this instruction, love one another, have a care for the heart, comfort, be comforted in the love and, and, and all, <coughs> excuse me, in all of this, where does he go to? He goes to Christ. He goes to Jesus, but not just to Jesus the example. Okay? It's not like, this is what Jesus is like. Everybody try hard to be like Jesus. 
It goes to Jesus, the example, who has done something for us, who brings that demonstration of the Spirit's power in reality, in that it, we actually do love one another. Am I making sense to you? It's not just be like, it's this is what Christ is like, and when you trust in him, he gives you the power to have the mind of Christ and to actually act in love and care for one another. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, so Jesus was God himself, he was God in the flesh, when he was In fact, this is pointing to the fact that when he was born, he was before he was born. He was alive through eternity as the son of God. He was always in the very nature of God. So who being in the very nature of God, and had always been in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not try to hang on to it or grasp it. Another way of understanding that passage is to say he did not consider uh, the glory of God something to be robbed. He didn't rob the glory for himself. He did not use his godhood, if that's a word, for his own glory. He was equal with God and yet he didn't act like that. If you look at the person of Jesus, you can say a lot of things about him, but you don't see someone who acts as the person of God Almighty, do you? As such, he acts in humility. Rather, he made himself nothing or emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing, he emptied himself. That doesn't mean he emptied himself of his godhood because he was God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, At the transfiguration, His godhood was revealed and he shone with all his glory, didn't he? So he was always God, but he emptied himself of the way he used his authority to become a servant or the Greek word servant or slave. He became a servant. He lowered himself. He showed his true humility, not fake humility. It wasn't just a show. Actually, His humility was the nature of God. He wasn't putting on humility. He's actually showing who God is. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, he didn't humble himself to become a human. Sometimes people say that. He was God and he humbled himself to become a human as if humans are second rate. He humbled himself to become a servant. Human beings are glorious. Understand that? There's nothing wrong with human beings. He was in his flesh with all his glory. Human beings are not lowly. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, the thought... Uh, that God humbled himself to become a human being is actually, there's a name for this heresy, which escaped me right now, (laughs) but there is a name for it. It's been a common heresy throughout Christian history, but it is actually found in today's church, particularly through some of the uh, teachings of Bethel in recent years, the Bethel teaching, the thought that God put aside his godhood and he was purely a human being. 
And uh, so what, that's found voice because what is done with it then is to say that as Jesus was merely a human being, so we are human beings. As he was the son of God, we are children of God. We can do and be everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus was, which is not actually true because he was in the flesh fully God. He was not just a man. He had all the glory of God and he humbled himself as God to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who was God himself, was crucified, bearing our sins, bearing the punishment for our sins in his own body on the cross. He gave up his life, emptying himself of the power. He said at one point, I've got, you know, when they arrested him, I've got power to call down uh, 12 legions of angels if I wanted to. It's not that he didn't have power, it's that he didn't use his power. He humbled himself. He let himself be beat and mocked and crucified. This is our God, our Lord and our Saviour. And you see, what Paul's saying in this passage is, see how he was. Now, you want to know why we should be humble? Have a look to your Lord. Have a look to him. Did he put himself above others? No, he actually put himself at the, at the lowest. He displayed no selfish ambition and no vainglory at all, did he? Now, I said he's not just an example because, you see, what happens when we're born again, we're born of God, we are given a new uh, DNA, basically, and that DNA gives us the mind of Christ. We have a new desire. The Holy Spirit causes us to have a different set of genes to to what we had before. Am I making sense? And our mind runs a different direction now. It runs in the direction of the Holy Spirit. And he causes us to desire to love one another and not to seek our own glory. to keep in step with the Spirit rather than fighting against the Holy Spirit. We follow his lead. So then, having said all this, Paul breaks out in praise and says, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, because he lowered himself, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is exalted and praised because of his humility. And you notice that Jesus is exalted and praised by God. He's not exalting and praising himself. He's not saying, gee, I did a good job, how good am I? He doesn't glorify himself. God glorifies him. Because he has displayed the true nature of God in its fullness, he's humbled himself perfectly. And therefore, he is exalted as supreme. He is actually above everybody else. No one else has lived as he has. He is Lord of all. And as I've often pointed out, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, it says that at the end of time when all authority, everything is put under his feet, Jesus is everything, he is all in all, he gives back 
the authority to the Father. He doesn't hold it to himself. He's pure in his humility for all of time. Therefore, he is shown to be Lord of all and his name is above every other name and there is none who deserves glory like him. No one deserves glory like him. In fact, he not only deserves all glory and praises, it is his. It is his. It, he will be praised, as uh, the psalm tells us. You know, even from the lips of babies, you've, you've brought forth praise. The stars glorify the Lord. He is being praised at every moment through all of time. He is praised above all. He's the Lord of all and he's the ruler of all now and forever. Now, when you compare that, you know, the, Paul speaks of the first Adam, that's Adam, and the second Adam of, of being Jesus. The first Adam was in the garden and he desired the glory of God for himself, to be like God. But the second Adam, who is Jesus, he doesn't desire that glory in humility, therefore, he is lifted up. Can you see that? He has all authority on heaven and earth because he didn't desire godhood. He didn't desire um, to be above all. Therefore, every knee will bow before him. Now, every knee, everybody will bow before him. Not everybody's going to like it. Some will willingly bow before him out of worship and love. Others will be forced to admit the truth. Yes, he is Lord of all. <coughs> but ultimately, everybody will honour him as king of all. We will not, at the end of time, all honour ourselves. And we shouldn't now. We should actually, as Christians, be very content for Jesus to be Lord of all. And we shouldn't desire to be God-like or Christ-like or children of God who go around uh, being like God. He is our Lord and we are content to consider him better than ourselves. That sounds like a really simple statement. But simple humanity doesn't want to consider anybody better than themselves. And if... We want to understand how we can actually live as humble men and women. It is by firstly seeing him as Lord of all. Because when we put him in the place that he's supposed to be, then we will start living towards one another in humility. When we see we've been saved by his grace and mercy, then we will know we are not lords, we are not gods ourselves. So when we acknowledge honour and worship Jesus as King and Lord of all, then we find our true place in this world, to be servants, which is not unusual. We're being like our Lord, aren't we? And we can be created beings, not creators. And we can be those who are saved by his grace. And this is a glorious life. Actually, um, Paul talks about the fact that we are glorified when we live as Christ. Not because that's not, it's not live as a servant so that you can be glorified. It's live as a servant because that's, that's the best way to live. It's as Christ lived. Because then we know who we are. We're children, servants of the Most High God. And therefore we are servants of everybody.
I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would um, take this passage and put it deep in our hearts, that we might live lives where we honour and worship and glorify you. And Father, I pray that from that we can become people who actually honour one another, that we would serve one another, that we would be people who live exercising the mind of Christ, that we would walk with your Holy Spirit, that we would follow your urges and your desires in us and live holy lives. And I pray, Father, that you would drive from us pride and selfish ambition and vain glory, that we would be content to live as your children, created by you, loved by you, and redeemed by you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.